The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Mark chapter 14 and 15, Mark details the events leading up to and the day that we call today Good Friday. And so to set our minds, to wrap around the text and the topic, I just want to run through this morning how the events unfold. We first have the betrayal in the garden. Betrayal by Judas, one of the twelve. One who had been with Christ for roughly three years, who watched him who spoke with him, who ate with him. A matter of fact, hours before this, Jesus washed his feet. And yet, for 30 pieces of silver, he betrays Christ. He comes to the garden with a group of soldiers, and he says, you'll know the man by a kiss. And he approaches Jesus and says, Master, Rabbi, Rabbi. And betrays him with a kiss. And here Jesus had been preaching and teaching openly, daily in the temple, in broad daylight. And yet they use the cover of darkness to arrest him. He's arrested. And his disciples, every one of them, flee, forsake him. He is standing now alone. And again, hours earlier, in one voice they said, we will die with you. We will not forsake you. If everyone does it, not us. And yet here is Christ now in the garden alone, forsaken. He is then taken before the Sanhedrin, the ruling religious council, that class of individuals. In the middle of the night, a mock and illegal trial. And he's taken before them. They bring false witnesses. And witness after witness, their stories don't match. It's a fiasco. And now, exasperated, the high priest says, tell us plainly, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus looks at him and says, I am. And you would see the Son sitting in power and returning in the clouds. And when Christ pulls those two Old Testament scriptures together, the high priest knows exactly what he's saying. He is saying, I am Messiah, and I will be your judge. And the high priest, now enraged, rips his garments and says, listen, he is blasphemed. He deserves to die. And all those who gathered around agreed. They begin to mock Christ. The religious crowd. They spit in his face. They cover his head and beat him and say, prophesy, who hit you? Who beat you, Messiah? From there he is taken to Pilate's judgment hall. He comes before Pilate and Pilate knows that he's been delivered for envy. He examines him and three times he says, I find no fault with this man. But he's stuck. He's stuck. The religious crowd said, listen, he is no friend of Caesar. He has committed treason. He's another king. 
Pilate tries to extricate himself out of the situation and says, listen, it's tradition that I let one prisoner go. We have Barabbas, a criminal, an insurrectionist, a murderer. And we have Jesus. Who would you like to go free? By this time, the high priest, religious rulers have stirred up the crowd, and they say, give us Barabbas. Pilate says, what should I do with Jesus? And they shout out, crucify him. Crucify him. So Pilate delivers him to be scourged. And if you know anything about the scourging, the Roman uh, had of nine tails with the lashes that had sharp objects like metal or bone. The lash would come across the back and swing around to the front. And as it was pulled back, it would rip flesh. And after a while, not only the flesh would be ripped, but the muscles would be ripped. And there were times that your inner organs were exposed. Many people never survived up to the crucifixion because of the scourging. He's scourged. And then he's delivered to a band of soldiers. Vile, wicked men. They twist together a crown of thorns and push it onto his brow. They get on their knee and say, Hail, King Jesus! They take a rod and time and time again beat him in the head with a rod, mocking him and again spitting on him. You know, there's some disgusting things to do to people, but I can't imagine something more vile than spitting on a human being. They spit on Christ. And then it's done. They lead him outside of the city because the death by crucifixion was so hideous. It shouldn't be done within the city walls, the gates. He was taken outside of the gates. And there, in this excruciating death that Rome used to tell everyone, don't mess with Rome or this is what will happen, Jesus Christ then has his hands and his feet pierced, hanging on the cross between heaven and earth. This is Good Friday. This is what we've come to remember this morning. This leads us to Mark chapter 15. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 37. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he dies. It's done. It's over. It's finished. The pain, the agony, the suffering completes. And yet I find it intriguing that all of the synoptic writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us this event that happens that seems like it doesn't follow. But it's so important that all three of them tell us the same thing. Look, if you would, at verse number 38. Jesus has died, and the next verse says, And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And it sounds strange. Why in the world mention this, that there's a curtain in the temple that has been torn now from top to bottom? But... All three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us of this event. So there must be some significance in this event. And so with the few moments we have this morning, I just want to bring out two thoughts. First, the significance of this curtain being torn in two. 
And then I want you to notice in Mark's account, right after the curtain being torn in two, there are three scenarios that he tells us about that are significant for every one of us in this room this morning. So, the curtain. We are first introduced to this curtain in the Old Testament. It's when Israel has been delivered from bondage in Egypt. God brings them into the wilderness, getting ready to go in the promised land. And he gives Moses this drawing, this idea of the tent, the tabernacle, the meeting place where God will meet with his people. And so the tent is built and erected. And we won't go into all of the details about the tent, but but just to say this, there were two compartments in the tent. The first two-thirds of it, it was called the holy place. And there were various instruments there, but it was separated from the holy place by the, the holiest of holies, the most holy place. This is where the high priest, once a year, would go in and make atonement for the nation of Israel. He would bring the blood to the Ark of the Covenant, to the mercy seat, and sprinkle it there, and symbolically cover the sins of the people for another year. And this holy of holy place was separated by a curtain. By a curtain. The truth is, we don't know the size or the veil, the, the, the width of the, of the curtain itself. Um, but this is the same curtain that goes from the tabernacle to Solomon's temple to the second temple and the Herod's temple, the one we just read about, that is rent in two. It was huge. Um, the thickness, we don't know. It could have been between three and six inches thick. But Josephus says two horses couldn't rip this thing apart. And I don't know if this is exaggeration or not, but the Mishnah tells us it took 300 priests to to bring this curtain down, to wash it, to cleanse it, and to put it back up again. It was huge. It was huge. And that curtain was there to remind us and to symbolize that behind that curtain was the very presence of God. That was the idea. It separates the holy place from the most holy. The high priest would go in, and he would be making atonement for the people of God. He would be in his very presence symbolically. But there's a second thing about this. That that curtain would show and symbolize our separation. No one could go back there. One man, the high priest, once a year, and everyone else was separated from that. There, There wasn't a Jewish person that could go behind that curtain. And heaven forbid you're a Gentile. A matter of fact, in Hebrews, in, in Herod's temple, when you went to the courts, different courts there, before you got into the court of Israel, there were signs for the Gentiles that said, if you pass this point, whatever happens to you, happens to you. What they meant is you could die. And so this curtain symbolized separation. And yet, with the victorious cry of Christ, this curtain is torn in two. There's significance here. It's showing us that, that the old is passed away, the old covenant, the old ways, they're done, and now the very presence of God is open. The writer of Hebrews describes this well. Listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 19. He says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, again, talking about this holy place separated by the curtain, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
And so the, the curtain is torn. The way is open. Presence before the Almighty God is available. And now Mark does something fascinating. He goes on to tell us three scenarios that are impacted by this. So back in our text, I want you to see what he immediately mentions after this curtain is torn in two. Leave 39. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that. The curtain's torn in two. The old way is done. The presence of God is now open. And the first person that Mark chooses to tell us about is a Roman centurion. He's a Roman. He is not a Jew. He is an outsider, right? He is a Gentile. Years ago, years and years, I say years ago, my years ago are becoming like decades ago now. But decades ago, I used to paint, and I painted with my father-in-law, and we had another guy who would uh, paint with us at times, and he had a Jewish clientele that he'd work with. And when he worked with his Jewish clientele, they would joke with him, he was an Italian guy, and they'd say, Steve, do you know why God loves the Jews? And he'd say, no, why does God love the Jews? And the Jews would always say, because the goyim, which are Gentiles, that's goyim, because the goyim annoy him. And that was their attitude. Those Gentiles, the goyim annoy him. Oh, they, they took, hey. And that's what they said. Here is a Gentile now. He is an outsider. An outsider. He is not a follower of the Savior. He is a soldier. He is not a uh, friend of Emmanuel. He is an enemy. Not only is he an enemy, he's an enemy of the Jews. Rome is the occupying force at the time. And the truth is, Roman soldiers didn't like Palestine. It was a place of trouble and turmoil, and the Jews hated them. But he's also an enemy of Christ. Christ has on the inscription over his head, the king of the Jews. And this Roman soldier who was dedicated to the emperor of Rome, he had no other king. It was treasonous. He's a Roman centurion. He's an outsider. And yet the curtain is torn. And look what he says at the end of verse 39. Truly, this man was the Son of God. The curtain is torn. The way is open. Something new is happening. And Mark says, I want you to notice, the first person I'm going to talk about is a Gentile outsider. Look at the next group, verse number 40. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the less, and Josie and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. So you have first, curtain torn in two, a Gentile, a Roman Gentile outsider. The next thing he talks about now are the women. And these women are insiders. It's amazing. The Bible makes it clear that for these women, they served Jesus, they ministered. Some of them must have been women of means who supported his work and his ministry. It's an amazing thing. But not only did they serve the Savior, they stayed. When everyone else left, John later at the cross, the women stayed. They watched, they prayed, they wept, they ministered. They didn't leave. 
They were truly insiders, and yet, in their culture, they too would have been outsiders. I talked about Herod's court and the temple, and the temple court, but there was also a distinction between the court of Israel and the court of women, and that was separated by a curtain as well. And women couldn't pass that curtain either. They were pushed further away from the presence of God than their male counterparts. And you know this, they were marginalized in that society. Their, their witness in a court of law didn't matter. And so here are women who are marginalized, and yet in Jesus' ministry, they're useful. Jesus was revolutionary. He was countercultural. This wouldn't have been done in his day, and yet he does. And Mark wants us to know that this curtain being torn in two has great significance, not only for this outsider, this Roman Gentile, but for these women who socially were marginalized as well. And later, these very women become the eyewitnesses, the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection. So we have a Gentile, outsider, Roman. We have the women, insiders, and yet outsiders. Look at verse 42 now, the next person that Mark thinks is important that we should know about. And now, when even was come, because it was a preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited on the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead. And calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. If the, if the Roman centurion Gentile was an outsider, if the women were insiders, Joseph, the religious man, is sort of upside down. And not in his affirmation of Christ, he is a follower of Christ, but in his association. Joseph, this religious man, was a Pharisee. Right? And not that all Pharisees were bad, but you know the run-ins that Jesus had with the Pharisees. They were self-righteous. They had taken their laws and, and elevated them above the word of God. Not only was he a Pharisee, Joseph was part of the Sanhedrin. This is the ruling class that arrested him in the middle of the night. This is the ruling class that had an illegal trial. This is the ruling class that had him crucified. And yet we find that the temple curtain is torn in two. And here is Joseph. He loudly calls for the body of Christ, saved from his self-righteousness and saved from his self-reliance. So what's the point? What's the point? Mark says Christ died. The curtain is torn in two. Here's the story of a Roman, some women, and a religious man. What's the point? I think there are two this morning. Number one is this. That when Christ died and the curtain was torn in two, it was clear to all that the way to God is finally open for all, for all, for all. The outsider, the insider, the upside-downer and confused, the way is open for all because of Good Friday. Good Friday is not good in the events that happen. Good Friday is good because of the results that transpired afterwards. It's good because Christ died for us My friend, I don't know if you realize this or not, 
but humanity's in trouble. We are in bondage to sin and self and selfishness. We are slaves to it. We are idolaters. We, are, we, we talk about, we dress up, we look good, but the truth of the matter is we have turned our back on God. Every one of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned our own way, and we were in bondage, in fear of death. We had no hope. We were guilty and condemned before a holy, righteous God of heaven, and yet on that Friday, Jesus Christ paid the price, and brought our redemption. He absorbed the wrath of God against all sin, against your sin, against my sin. He drank the cup dry completely, the cup of God's wrath. He becomes our ransom. We come here and we celebrate Good Friday and we celebrate Easter, and some of us think, oh, that's great, but you have to, why did Jesus die? If we're good, if we're okay, none of it makes sense. And the answer is because We're not good and we're not okay. And we needed a ransom. He paid a debt he did not owe for a debt that we could not ever pay. He cancels the demands of the law. The law says, you want to go to heaven? You want to be perfect? Follow all of them. And if you blow it in one, you've blown it in all. And Christ comes. And he cancels the demands of the law because he perfectly kept them as a holy, spotless lamb. Death's grip on us is over. No fear in death. No, none of it. It's done because he's rescued us from that thing that has driven us in fear our entire life. Christ conquered sin, death, and the grave. He has given eternal life as promised. Forgiveness of sin is available. Um, The bondage is broken. We are holy and justified in him. We've been brought back into right relationship with God. Jesus Christ gave an offering that was acceptable to God. Our offerings are not. Not our righteousness, not our goodness, not our religion. But Christ paid the price. The way is open to all. The Jew, the Gentile, men, women, religious, and irreligious, there is now the opportunity for vertical reconciliation. Mark's point is this. Christ died. He paid the price. The curtain is torn. Access is open. And it's open not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile, men, women, all mankind, vertical reconciliation. The way is open to all. Number two, we are to be in one accord. It's not by chance that he gives us these three categories afterwards. A Gentile, Roman, women who were ostracized in society, and this religious man. And what he's saying to us is, look, not only is this way open for all vertical reconciliation, but now because of what Christ has done, there is horizontal reconciliation between all men and all women who are in Jesus Christ. This is the church. Listen to what Paul tells us in Galatians 3, 23. There is neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free, male or female. He goes on in Ephesians and says, we were once far off and alienated. We've been brought nigh by the blood. Christ has broken down the middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile. He says, there is a new creation now. Colossians 3, 11 says, Christ is all and in all. This is the church. And when that curtain was torn in two, not only was there vertical um, reconciliation, but now all men and all women can be reconciled horizontally. The church is not just an ethnic group or a social group 
or one race or one culture or one political background or one um, educational level. That's not it at all. The truth is, the way is open for all, and there should be harmony with all, whether you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth or a spork. You know what a spork is. I'm talking about a plastic one at that. This is a new humanity that Christ offers, that we can be in one accord because the curtain has been torn in two. My friend, in light of this, knowing that the Christian now is vertically reconciled with God, we should be horizontally reconciled as well. This world's insane today. There is hatred, there is division, there are problems. It's everywhere. It should never be in the church of Jesus Christ. There should be no racial hatred. There should be no class envy. There should be no drawing lines in politics that we can't talk with one another anymore. Because what brings us together as believers is greater than anything that can separate us. You know what brings us together? The death of Jesus Christ. At Calvary, everyone's on the same level. We are sinners saved by grace. It is one beggar telling another beggar how to find bread. And because the temple curtain is torn in two... Christ made the sacrifice. Now the way is open for all, and we should all be in one accord. This is the truth of Good Friday. This is it. And this morning we should humbly adore and praise our God that the way is open for everyone, for everyone, for you, for me. And as believers this morning, there should be a sense that we love one another because that middle wall has been broken down that when the outside world looks to us and sees the church, every color, every race, every background, every status, socially, economically, educationally, that they see the love of this place, and they say, listen, there's something going on around there, something different. I don't understand it, but they truly love one another. This is the effects of the the curtain being torn in two. And may we today... In in adoration and praise, thank God that Christ died on Good Friday. He died for you. He died for me. The curtain has been torn in two. The way is open for all, and we must be in one accord. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.